Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Act Out from Open Mic to the Big Stage. Comedians tell us how stories were made. Uh, my name is Duck. I am here today with a hilarious comedian. Awesome stage presence, just bringing the pain like crazy. It started in Arlington, and that's what we're going to start talking about. I'm here with Paul Jairus, here to talk about comedy in every way, shape, and form. I'm super excited. Paul, you're from here, though, right? Yeah, I'm from, I'm from the city, from Arlington, Texas, born and raised. Yeah, just happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Absolutely. So we'll get into it, talk about kind of your family and stuff, because you talk about your father quite a bit yeah, uh, throughout yeah, your act. Yeah. But we'll get there. So you're born and raised here. How long have you been doing comedy? Well, so in May, we'll make 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. Started 10 years ago at the uh, Arlington Improv Open Mic. That's how I met Gabe. I told myself every week I would go at least once a week and hit a mic until I just got comfortable. So you were a big part of the DFW comedy community about 10 years ago? Yeah, coming up, yeah. So I, I can tell you a few names that, that I came up with during that time that I still see out here doing big things today. Chris G, Des O'Neill, uh, Lamar Jones. Dexter Givens. Dexter Givens. Yeah. Uh, Latrice Allen. The list goes on, but yeah, oh, yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of folks. And it's always good to see that they're still prospering, still doing their thing, because we're all on separate journeys. Well, your journey went really quick. Uh, <laughs> you kind of got like the rocket ship version of it. So we got to talk about the first time you went to get on stage. You didn't get on stage the first time you signed up. You chickened out. I did. Right? Yes, I did. Because for whatever reason, like I had the, I had the material. I had everything I wanted to talk about. It was just that, I guess, the stranger aspect of it. Like, oh, I'm about to be in front of strangers. I don't know how to feel about this or I don't know how it's going to go. So I let, I let that creep into my head. But I wasn't going to let that creep in two weeks in a row. So, so you built up the courage after you chickened out the first time. Yeah. I, I, in my mind, I'm like, at least I signed up. You know what I'm saying? So so that part was out the way. So I went back the next week. I brought a few friends, made it a little better. It was probably like nine people in the room, six of them were my friends. So yeah. it was easy. That was probably the easiest show I ever had. And you crushed it, right? The I, first time you did really well. I did really well. And I knew I did well because people were asking me. They were like, was that your first time? So that kind of sparked something. I was like, well, if y'all thought that was my first time. And, and when I look back at that video, I still have the video. When yeah. I look back at it, it was probably the worst <laughs> set of my life. But for but, open mic, it was awesome. Yeah, right? it was the worst set. But for open <laughs> mic, people thought, like, I had something. Mm -hmm. So that gave me, like, a, the motivation to come back that following week. So I brought more friends. What I kept doing was just bringing friends. So that way I just felt more comfortable when I was looking at the audience. I'm seeing familiar faces. So it wasn't as like nerve wracking in the beginning. And then I say about two, three sh open mics, I get a phone call and they want me to open up for this guy named Eric Amondi, who's like the biggest comedian in Kenya. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. And I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> they're like, I've got 10 minutes. Yeah. I got this. They're like, they're like uh, can you do 30? I'm like, sure, why not? <laughs> Had no business being on that stage for 30 minutes. But it ended up being longer than that, right? It ended up being longer because he showed up late. He was So the show was supposed to start at 6. He shows up at 9. Now, all these people have been waiting. They paid to see this guy. He's the headliner. People are drunk. They're telling me, you might have to do more time. I'm like, I only brought 30. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and it was so soon after you started, too. It was literally my third time being on stage. That's insane. A thousand people drunk. 
and we're starting the show three hours late. And were you drunk too, or were you? No, were I was sober. Sober the whole this time. This was before, like I even, I, I didn't even know my routine, how I wanted to be sober. I get up there. As soon as I get up there, where's Eric? We bad to see Eric. Bunch of angry Africans is mad at me. Where's Eric? Who the hell are you? You know, I'm just like, if I knew where Eric was, I'd tell him you're looking for him. You know what I'm saying? But you got me for the next 30. They was not pleased. So, so do you think it went really good, though? I had mixed reviews. So I had enough people in the audience that enjoyed it. To make me be like, all right, because it could have really messed up my my psyche. Because, like I said, a thousand people is a lot. Yes. You know, for your first actual show. And what a great credit to have, too, like off the bat. Off the rip. Yeah. You just, oh, that's kind of And it kind of just helped build that momentum because it's like, this guy is already established. He's been doing his thing out in Kenya. And now the Kenyan community knows that I do comedy and they want to get behind me, but they're not sure just yet if I'm ready yet, because of course what they saw, but it was also a product of a show starting three hours late, people being drunk and paying to see someone other than me. They didn't pay to see me. So I kind of, and my experience with African people is they're very to the point, very direct. They don't beat around the bush. They would just tell you. To be honest, African crowds have always been my worst. Yeah. Yes. Ironically enough, you would think that I I would kill African crowds. Mm -hmm. Not in the beginning. I had to learn that, I used to always try to cater to them. Like, what would they want to hear? Like, what kind of jokes would they want to hear? Like, what do they think is funny? And then and then I had to get out of that mentality and just be like, you know, y'all got to accept me for me. Yeah. I'm still one of y'all. I know I may not look like one of y'all, but I'm one of y'all. And y'all going to have to accept me being American, an African-American. And I'll tell you my story. And if y'all can't rock with it, then y'all just can't rock with it. Well, that's the one thing that's crazy. You talk about your father. And he has that strong presence. And, very strong. And, and sound like he was very no-nonsense, discipline and stuff like that. You have the amazing joke about being in school and he shows up with the flip-flops. Yeah. Listen, you've got to see Paul. It's ridiculous. It's an amazing story. And so does he have a big influence on you? Was the household funny when you were growing up? or It was very home? serious. Yeah? It was very serious. I'm the youngest out of six. Oh, wow. So I think me being the youngest, I was able to have a little leeway. To, you know, I was I wasn't scared of trouble. I wasn't scared to, you know, go down the street when I, my parents told me not to go down the street or street lights are on. I'm supposed to be home. I wouldn't. I was I was that kind of child. But at the same time, my older brothers, like they kind of guided me a little bit more. My dad worked a lot, so he wasn't home. The only time he was home was to whoop us. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> he get home, he find out what we did during the day. He'll wake us up, he'll give us our little whooping, we'll go back to sleep, he'll go to work. Were you a funny kid then? Or I, I read somewhere that it was you and your sister were like the, the clowns of the family. Yeah. Is that right? So I was to a certain extent. Like I, I was the kid who liked telling stories. I was a storyteller. Yeah, you definitely are a storyteller. Yeah. You, you have a, a talent for it. Thank uh, you. Like, it's amazing. Like, And your jokes, the way they're structured, are within a storytelling manner, which is, I think, personally, the hardest level of comedy Thank to, you, to master. So Thank you've you. done it. But anyhow, so you were a storyteller. Yeah, so I, I would always feel like if something happened, like if we were all somewhere and something happened, I felt like if our friend pulled up late, I needed to be the one to tell them the story because then I'm going to paint the picture for you. I'm going to give you the details. <laughs> I'm not going to leave stuff out. I'm going to make it like entertaining. Right. And I was doing that even I played basketball growing up. My AAU basketball team, we would go travel to different cities. We'd be in a van for like maybe two, three hours. That car ride there. 
I'm making everyone laugh. I knew I had someone. I was making my coaches laugh. Yeah. These are 40, 50 year old men, you know, laughing at a at a 16 year old kid who's just you know telling whatever stories about his family or whatever. So I knew I had something at that point. What I had to do was basically figure out. All right, I knew I could tell stories. I just didn't know there was a platform for it. You know. So you you never watched stand up when you were younger or anything like that. Never, oh, never caught. Being... I used to watch Comic View with my brothers. Okay. My my older brothers used to watch Comic View, so I would catch a few comedians, but it wasn't big mm-hmm. like on me. Like I was a cartoon kid, you know. Yeah. Like I was heavy on sports, huge sports fan. Like nobody saw comedy coming because yeah. I, I was always talking about basketball, football, wrestling. Like I was into the most randomest thing, BMX riding. Like I wanted to. Be in the X Games. Yeah. You know, just random stuff. Like, no one saw me getting into comedy. So what changed? How did you start thinking about it? What was the spark that started it? Well, I, st- I wanted to get into acting first. So I started... And you have acted in a couple of things. I've acted in a few things. Yeah. And I, I got into acting, and I was realizing that it was a lot tougher than, than I expected, for one. I was already in that aspect of performing arts. I went to a, a school in Carrollton called John Casablanca's. It's like a modeling slash acting school. I went there, finished that. And then after that, I was like, I, I finished it, but I was like, what's next? Yeah. You know, and it's like so much that you got to do after that process, you know, finding agents and auditions and all that. I was like, I just was missing something, you know? And it was just one day I was at home and I was like, I was like, man, I Googled how to be a comedian and open mics came up. Oh, wow. Yeah. The process, though, you had no idea what it was going to be like. I had no idea what the process was going to be. I just jumped in because I, I wanted to do something. I knew I had a talent, and I wanted to use it in a different way. And I was like, I, I heard about stand-up comedy through through some friends, but I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I Googled it, and then I was like, I saw there was a few open mics. There was one I went to in Dallas called Backdoor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Linda Stockner's, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I went to Backdoor, and actually funny you bring linda up she was the one who told me i did well and, and that's high praise and, i mean linda's very respected I, I respect her highly and so does everyone else and you as you know but like she told you on the first time you went up yeah that, after wow. i after i got off she said you got something and that gave me the confidence like i said that gave me the confidence to every week from that point on to make sure i hit at least one open mic yeah. per week until I got comfortable. What do you think it was when you began? Do you think it was your energy level? Do you think it was your jokes? The, your ability to tell stories? What what, what what did people see? I think they just saw potential. I don't think the jokes were there yet. The material wasn't there. It wasn't ready, like, as polished as it is now. I, I didn't have real structure behind the jokes. It was no transition. Like, everything was just raw. You know, it was just... Me saying what I thought was funny at that time, delivering it how I delivered it, but me knowing what I know now, that's why when I told you I saw that video, probably the worst set of my life. <laughs> but to get praise from someone who who's such an established comedian in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area meant so much to me to where it, it gave me that confidence to keep going. Because yeah. I if if I would have got off there and and everything wasn't what it was, then I would have just been like, all right, I guess I'll go back to auditions or that sparked something and then like i said me doing opening up for the for erica mondi that also sparked like wow that was a big opportunity i got paid 500 bucks for, for oh wow yeah just, just and you and it was just you you hosted you featured no i i you. basically just featured wow that's, that's first so ever crazy. first ever show thousand people i'm like 500 bucks in my head i'm like what 
Yeah. That was a lot of money. How do you go from going that big to going back to open mics and having to work your way up through the ranks and getting gigs and stuff like that? What was that like? Humbling. Because of- <laughs> <laughs> Humbling. You're not there yet. You're far from where you're supposed to be. And and at that point, at that moment, I didn't know how far I was. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, that kind of boosted my confidence, boosted my ego a little bit, made me feel like I was somebody. Seeing that I could get paid from it was the biggest part. That's the quickest I got paid story I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Two open mics. Here's five hundred bucks. <laughs> But I think it says something to your character and your talent that you were able to do an hour or an hour and a half, whatever it was. Like I don't. It was a, it was at least thirty five, forty minutes. I was sitting there thinking today, like I don't even know what I would do in that situation. I would just freeze and probably walk off stage because I've got maybe ten minutes of material. When, when I tell you, I don't know how I did that. Like I literally sat in the mirror before the show, like just practicing my jokes, and I would time myself. That I didn't know. Like I said, I didn't know how long thirty was. I for sure didn't have 30 minutes of material. <laughs> I just knew I was going to talk for 35 minutes. So I would just time myself in the bathroom every 35 minutes. Like, I'd get up there. I'd be like, all right, let me let me do the jokes. I'll see how much time. I'm, I'm like, that's only 17 minutes. Okay, I got to stretch this yeah. out. Like, you know? And it was just that process of, like, figuring out as I go. And then, ironically enough, he comes back. The Eric Amani comes back uh, a month later. They want to do another show. So a month later, we do the same show. He actually shows up on time. Show actually goes well. And now I have a better respect in the African community. because That's awesome. Because now I didn't have to deal with the whole three hours late. Y'all paid to see this guy, this and that. It was a show flowed right through. I did my time. I still say when I look back at it, I was shaky. You know what I'm saying? But I got through it. I think I did more crowd work than I ever did that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You'd have to. But you've already got the skill set. You know what I mean? Like you were cracking up your coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. Like you obviously were had practice. Yeah. So somewhere in that you were prepared. Yeah. And, but it's absolute insanity. It's a it's a beast of, 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 of a task to ask someone who's unexperienced. Like, if I was to ask a comedian now, like, can you do 30 minutes? <laughs> I wouldn't even ask them. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't you know even, the truth. They're yeah. going to say, yeah, I can. You've got five. Yeah, and to maybe, be real. And if it's even good at that. If that. You yeah. know, we know how hard this business is. Oh, so so it was one yeah. of those, like, I'm so appreciative because I, I look at it like I got thrown in the fire. Yes. Oh, you definitely did. But it's so cool that you survived it and that you've done it almost 10 years now. Now so, that May makes 10 years. So it's, it's, it's a huge accomplishment. I want to change gears a little bit and ask you about acting. I can't remember the name of the movie. You played Detective Joseph Brown. Is yeah. that right? Uh, Streets of Harvest. Streets of Harvest. I didn't get a chance to read up on uh, the movies you were in. What kind of movies were they were they dramas thrillers what ironically i always played a detective every single film (laughs) (laughs) like i I don't get it like i felt like it was weird i was like y'all want me to be a cop so bad you're gonna be on like law and order someday something like like, they they want me to be iced tea or something i don't know who (laughs) they see in me they think law enforcement when they see me for some reason but that was such that was a, a great experience too because i got to I was like the co-star in that in that film. So it was kind of like it gave me that confidence in acting that like, all right, you have lines now. Like I've done stuff where, you know, you have a line here and there. You're in there for probably like 0.5 seconds or you're in there for like two seconds. You got to pause it so people can see you, you know. But that was like an opportunity that I was able to actually showcase my acting abilities. Like I said, I, I'm super proud of, of the project itself. Very thankful for everybody I met during that process. And just being on the set. 
that early kind of gave me like that. Like to, today, I'm on a set, it's just like a nostalgic feeling. But at, at that point, I was like, wow, there's cameras. You know? I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is real. Like, all right. You know, we got real production teams and real, like, I'm like, this is what I love. Like, I'm like, I'm falling in love with being around the atmosphere, not even just the actual acting. It's just the atmosphere of seeing the cameras and seeing the lights and seeing the camera crews and everybody's treating you like you're the star. And, yeah. you know, they're giving you that. I love that feeling. So that feeling, I just, I just had to have more of. So you ended up going to school after that for film? Is that right? After that, yeah. I went to an acting school and then I went to film school in uh, Hollywood. What was that like? Interesting. Let me tell you the least. Uh, so Hollywood is an interesting place as it is. I went to L.A. Film School, which is in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, like smack dab right on Sunset across from CNN, like really in that area. So it's it was a crazy environment because there's so much craziness that goes on in Hollywood. Like you just walk outside of your class and there's like homeless people. There's like crackheads. It's, it's just, <laughs> you can just see what, like there's, you don't know what you're going to see. Like yeah. So I worked in Hollywood as well. I worked at a Buffalo Wild Wings. So I would go from school straight to work, but I would have to walk. So on that walk to work, I would see some of the most craziest just walking, you know, just because Hollywood is, I call it Holly weird. You know, you just see like a random dude with a snake wrapped around his neck, just randomly what? walking. Just the, I'm saying random, you know what I'm saying? There's crackheads parked outside our school. I'm like, this can't, this can't be sanitary for one. But, you know, it was just that experience. I used LA film school for the networking. I really wasn't too focused on film production. I want to be in front of the camera. But I, I needed something while I was in L.A. I was like, you know what? I've been in L.A. a little bit. I'm not finding what I wanted right away. So once I got into L.A. film school, I realized, oh, I'm in here with editors, directors, producers, people who want to be everything that I'm going to need. I made sure that I let everyone know. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I'm a comedian. I said off a rip. I'm a comedian. If you need any, if you want to do any comedies or whatever, I'm your guy. And I just let it be known from that point. I'm like, all right, well, I started making friends and networks. And then next thing you know, about a year goes by, my friends are starting to do their projects. They're hitting me up. Hey, I got this and that, you know, or they're hitting me up here. I got this and that. And I'm like, oh, this is full circle. And right now, everything I thought would happen is happening because now it's like, all right, I have friends in the industry. That's yeah. crazy. And I was sitting there thinking, like, you could probably film a special. You you know enough people that you could film your own special yeah. somewhere. Like, that. that is a dream. I think I've been telling a lot of local comics, we need to go a little bit punk rock with this mm -hmm. and just start doing it. And just know? do it, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we wait for somebody to give it to us. They're never going to. It's not going to happen Yeah, and, and your story alone, you said yes. You, like, it sounds like you're a yes man. Like, somebody's like, hey, this door is going to open. Do you want to walk through it? I'm always, yeah. I, I will never turn down no smoke. If, yeah. if you ask if you if you have an opportunity for me wherever it is, I will be there. If it was in Atlanta tomorrow, I'll fly to Atlanta tomorrow. Like I'm that kind of guy where I just know that it's it's bigger than me. If someone had an opportunity for me, I'm not gonna ever say no. The only reason I could say no is I wasn't physically able to be there. But otherwise, that's the way to do it. Yeah, you know? and that's how you you grow. How far were you in your comedy career when you moved to LA? I was three years in. What is the LA scene like? I've heard it's very difficult to break in anyway. I would say, yeah, for one, it very is it is difficult because when you first start out there, it's a lot of bringer shows. It's a lot of um, open mics that are only comedians. You wanna get in at the at the big places, but you kinda gotta pay your dues in a sense. You know, my first two, three years in LA were rough. Rough to the point where I could have came back home. Film school really saved a lot. 
because then, like I said, I was able to meet people. I was able to make connections. And then I was able to get my friends from film school to come to the shows. I was wondering how, because if you went out there, I didn't know if you knew anyone. How would you get people to come into the bringer shows? Because I've heard that's one of the big things about L.A. It is a, it's a bringer. It's yeah. a bringer type of town. If you bring people, you'll get up. If you brought two people, probably be last or you probably won't get up at all. Yeah. And it was one of those where it was like, all right, I just had to figure out. I just knew, like, to, I had to find a way to get people in the seats in order to get my time off. Because I, I had a friend who was doing a, a show at the uh, comedy store. And like I said, it was it was a bringer it was a bringer show, but I'm like, it's the comedy store. It's the comedy store. You know, and that's like, I got to get in there. Yeah. And I have to at least hit that stage a few times. Yeah. So I just made sure all my film school friends weren't doing nothing on that certain day. And I was like, yo, I'd really appreciate it if all y'all came through. <laughs> and, 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 and they all came. And then they were pleasantly surprised that I was actually funny. You, know? <laughs> you did a really damn good job. And then they're like, oh, well, we should put him in stuff. Yeah, this dude is legit. Yeah. All right, all right. So so then I was able to start building off of that. And then I just kept building each performance, building the rapport with the people at the comedy store, making sure that I, I introduced myself to everyone. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person that I introduce myself to everyone in the room. Because you never know who in the room does what, works what. I just want to always be that person open enough to, if I see someone stand, how you doing, I'm Paul? How you doing? And then you never know. Come to find out, that could have been the owner of the club. What's interesting about that is the networking aspect you're kind of talking about. People are afraid to do that. You got to do it from a place of kindness. That's what I think. Because comedy is very cutthroat, and there will be people who try to, to derail you. But I find that if we work together, like doing the podcast now, stuff yeah. like that, yeah. we're creating positive content. And then who knows, man, like in the next five to 10 years, I truly believe you could be one of the biggest comedians in the United States. And I, and I do appreciate that. Yeah. And I have that same mentality for myself because I'm very competitive. Like I grew up on a sports background. Mm -hmm. I grew up wanting to go to the NBA. I, I wanted to just play professional sports. So I always equate everything to like championships, playoffs. And, you know, I, I do a lot of sports analogies with my life. So... My competitive spirit and my drive to be the best is what I always felt like is going to get me for. You know, like we can all be in this and we can all have participation awards. <laughs> you know? Like on field day in elementary, everyone gets a, a ribbon. You know, I don't want everybody getting a ribbon. Yeah, I, I want. I, so I, I put that pressure on myself every time I get on stage. I put that pressure every year. I'm like, I need to be here. I need each year. I need to be taking steps forward. I need to be in in a situation I wasn't in last year. What is your writing process like then? Do you write it down on paper? Do you work on a computer? Or do you just keep it in your head and work it out? Your comedy style with the storytelling, it's kind of off the cuff. It feels like your your stage presence is so good, and it feels so natural. You know what I mean? Are you just telling stories that you've punched up? Is that basically what you're Basically. Doing? Yeah. Writing-wise, I've never really wrote a joke. Never. I don't think I've ever written a joke, but I've worked a joke. What I normally do is if I have an idea, I just write, like, the topic in my phone. And then, like, that open mic or that or a show, like, let's say it's a show and not, not too many people in there. I just work on it, hear it out, you know, because you got to hear it out to, to actually know how it sounds first in front of everybody, then it's like, all right, either I can keep it or I can t tweak a few things. Like I said, in the beginning, it started just random. Like I was I was making up jokes. And that's what I, I realized was the hard part. I'm like trying to think of jokes. Like my first few months, I'm like, what's funny? You know, I'm trying to think, <laughs> what, would, what would make people laugh? And I'm saying some of the most stupid that yeah. I could, you know, could even come up with, you know, people with one arm and stuff, you know, just <laughs> random shit. And then uh, eventually, eventually, as of course, as time goes on, you start building up like 
uh, structure. I started doing my history and started watching old stand-up uh, comics. I was watching like Jamie Foxx, Bernie Mac. Uh, actually, one of Kevin Hart's uh, special, like when he, his earlier specials, I used to like recite it word for word. And that's when I, I started getting the love for comedy, like, you know. I was like, because I always loved comedy, but not stand-up. And then, like I said, I had to go back and do research on other comedians and just kind of watching their stage presence and watching their, you know, oh, how he brought this back or like, you know, and I was just a fan of like the art. So then it made me be like, all right, with my jokes, I want to have structure. I want to make sure the transitions are right. I want to make sure it makes sense. I go from here. I don't want to be over here, then I, now I'm way left field on something else that has nothing to do with us. I, I like it to all tie in together mm-hmm. and then to be one big story, then it'll just come out better that way. Oh, it's it's crazy. Like I said, I watched quite a bit of your comedy. I was just like, he's so good at telling stories. Thank like, you. Thank and it, it's, like I said, I feel personally it's one of the most difficult things to do in comedy. Yeah. And to hold people's attention throughout a story is another level, you know? But I think your charisma... And your stage presence really pulls people in because you're high energy. Yeah. You really bring so much to the stage and, and you own it. And what I loved about watching your set was if the audience wasn't feeling a joke, you would call them out. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. that doesn't always work. I'm not always a fan of that. Yeah. But your style of doing it was great because yeah. it's like, hey, you don't want to join in the fun? That's yeah, fine. It's all right. It's yeah. cool. We'll, we'll move on. Yeah, we'll go to the next one. Yeah. But, but you handled that well. You had a couple hecklers I saw that you handled very well. Uh, do you have a way that you deal with hecklers specifically or do you just not worry about them too much? I don't really, I don't really think about them in, in my set or in my process. I know it's a part of it and at some point it's inevitable, but I never go into it thinking about hecklers. Oh, I guess because you got heckled that first show where the, everyone was yelling like, yeah, where's Eddie? Yeah, where's Eddie? Good <laughs> bet you see that? You know, don't get no, no more heckler than that on your first go around. So what was it like the first time you headlined somewhere? Nostalgic, like surreal. Knowing the journey, knowing what I've been through, knowing what I've sacrificed. Because I've sacrificed a lot. I sacrificed my friends. Not like in that sense. Yeah, that sounded crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Illuminati. No, I'll just play. <laughs> They're like, that's how he got on. We, we knew it was something. There's, he wasn't that funny. He had to have did something. No. <laughs> I sacrificed like, my time with my friends and my family. I just left everything behind and, and chased a dream. That itself. I always think bigger picture. After three years of being out here and I felt like I was doing, making a little name for myself in the in the comedy scene. Felt like people knew who I was. I felt comfortable. All I told myself was it's time for a change. It was either California or New York. And in my mind, I'm like, all you're doing is changing the address. You're still funny. Different address. That was That's what I kept telling myself as I moved to LA. I was like, you're still funny. The address just changed. The opportunity popped up. I had a friend who was like, you can stay on my couch. For however wow. long you need. So yeah. my first nine months, I was sleeping on my friend's couch. Wow. Just trying to figure it out. That's kind of the dream and the story of it, right? Like you, you have to, like you said, sacrifice. You have to be able to kind of give away a part of yourself or, or do something like sleep on your friend's couch. Uncomf- or, you got to yeah, get uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable to be able to, to make it because... I mean, it just, it's so much work. And it's I, a lot I, of work. I tell this to people on this podcast all the time. It's like, you don't realize how much time you've got to spend driving and then sitting and watching yeah. other people do comedy poorly or, or kill it, you know, yeah. then you're in your head about that. And then you just got to worry about yeah, yourself. Yeah, you're like, oh, wait, I'm not as good as him. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, right. and he's then, good. No. 
how do I get there? You know, yeah. Exactly. And so one of my favorite things is comedy is stage presence because I, I struggle with that as a comedian. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have a stage presence. So whenever I see somebody who has a strong stage presence like yourself, like just talking to you now, you're so yourself on stage. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So I appreciate how, it. How did you get to that point? Or were you always that way? I would say it took me about nine months. It was like nine months. I remember I was at the improv. I was hosting the open mic and it was a packed house. And that day, I remember, like, like it looked like a real show. Like, you know, so it was, like, dope that I got to get that much stage time, like, in between, doing the jokes in between and bringing up comics. But that night solidified it for me because it was, like, like I said, I always love crowds. So, like, when I get to the club and I see a big crowd, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're about to have fun tonight. You know, the bigger the crowd, the better. My friend used to always tell me, the bigger the crowd, the bigger the laugh. I adapted that mentality. I'm like, ooh, we got a big crowd. Perfect. I'm putting the show out because then it's like, I know they didn't come here for me, but they're going to leave knowing who I am. So I always took that opportunity. Like, you're going to know who I am by the end of this show. Nine months into it, I told myself, I said, you know, you're confident now. You know what I'm saying? It was that point where I was like, all right, every time you get on stage, you're going to kill it. It was just that mentality of now, anytime you're up here, you're going to kill it. And it took me nine months. And I'll say it took me nine months because like I said, I was only doing comedy like once a week. But for those nine months, like I said, I booked the shows throughout that, that time. Wow. But I wasn't as polished or confident. I'll say the confidence didn't come until nine months later. Yeah. But I was up there physically in front of strength. Like, I'm up there physically, but confidently, hmm. do I have the material that I know is going to steal the show? And do, No. Were you nervous at all during that time? Do you get nervous now? I get anxious. I tell myself when I get nervous, use that as excitement. It's kind of like the adrenaline rush of yeah. like jumping out of a plane or something like that. That's exactly what yeah. it is. It's so, adrenaline. Yeah, because I, when I hit the stage, whoosh, it just wipes away. And then I'm like, oh, but, we're up But here. right before you're on the stage, it's like your heart's racing yeah. a little bit. I always go to the bathroom. I do that little eight mile. <laughs> I, go to, I, I act like, like I'm at eight mile. I look at myself in the mirror. I try to throw up. never happens. <laughs> and it, it's like, all right. And I tell myself, I look at myself in the mirror, and I be like, you know what? You do this. I, that was my, my biggest thing. I, every time, but whenever they say I'm next, I run to the bathroom. And it was like my superstitious thing. Like, it's like I just had to look at myself right. before I go up there and be like, this is what you do. And I would just tell myself every time. I, and then it's like, like you said, once you get up there, those nerves go away. And then by the time you get off the stage, you're, like your adrenaline's high. You're like, wow, I just crushed it. You know, and then you got the peep. The satisfaction part is when everyone comes up to you afterwards. Like, hey, you're funny, or, or this and that, you know, like that appreciation after the show. That, oh, that's that's awesome. what I really loved about it. Your comedy seems like it's based in truth. Yes. They're all true stories, yeah. some variation of them. With the way you tell them, they just, the whole thing seems true. But I'm sure you're, the fish was this big and then it becomes this big. Of course. There's, there's a little exaggeration yeah. behind behind it, but they're, they're from true premises, truth. Like, every story that I have is truth. And then sprinkled a little exaggeration yeah. in there. Did you really spank him? <laughs> spank him, midget? I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> so, so, so the funny thing is, I really, I really was in the club. It was called Kinkies in Dallas. <laughs> Ironically enough, a club called Kinkies in Dallas. I really saw two big booty white midgets walk by. I really looked at the homie and was like, "We gotta dance with him." We really danced with him. I really put her on my lap. I got her number, but. At that point, she told me she stayed in Denton. I was like, I don't know if I want to drive 45 yeah, that's, minutes. That's far. For, you know, for a little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I never did it. But just the idea of me having a midget's number in my phone was funny. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell this story. And I don't know what got into me to, to, to take it to where I took it. But like I said, everything was true up until me going to her house. Okay. Everything from that part, I just a little, little sprinkle of exaggeration. Yeah, it was, it's, that's a great story, though. Yeah. I love it. And and then you said, like, I, I didn't even sleep with her. Yeah, I, like, I was so in character, you know, like. Cause that's how my dad is. My my dad is just about discipline. Yeah, yeah. So oh, so good. What is the weirdest experience you ever had on stage? Hmm, that's a good one. Weird. I would say early in my in my open mic, it was it was weird. She was it was a drunk lady, right? She was super drunk, heckling all the comedians, everyone who got up, and she was just just belligerent, just for no reason. Should have been kicked out, but just was for no reason. So. I had peeped that as everyone's up there. I'm like, you know, so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to have something for her if she's continuing while I'm up there. And like I said, this is early on in my in my stand-up, so I was pretty bold. I'm during my set, and she's heckling or whatever, and I just I just scratch everything. I'm like, we're going to have to just turn this on to you. So we're going back and forth. I just went to New York, so I had an I Heart New York straight on. So we're going back and forth. She's like, you're not from New York. Take that shit. <laughs> I'm like, ma'am, first off, you're right. I'm not from New York, you know? If you really want to get technical, I only paid $5 for this shirt. <laughs> I really don't care about this shirt that much for you to even be mentioning it. She, and she just kept going, you ain't from New York, this and that. I'm like, I don't know what got into me. Maybe it was alcohol. <laughs> Maybe it was alcohol. But I was like, you're right. And I was like, man, f- New York. And I took off my, my shirt and I threw it in the in the crowd in her direction. Just to, I don't know why I did it. I just it was just a moment. I crumpled it up and I tried to throw it as far as I could at her and I just chunked it. And I'm now I'm shirtless on stage and I'm like, now you gotta end your set. <laughs> so I was like, my name's Paul Jarvis, that's my time. You know, I just walked off and everyone's like, this dude is crazy. He just walked off without a shirt. Did you ever get your shirt back? No. <laughs> I, I had to go to the car. I, I, at that point, I, I can't walk back and pick the shirt up. No. I didn't took it off. I didn't disrespect the city. Shout out to New York. I, I love New York. But in that moment, she pushed me to the point where I had to do something. I was like, she's like, take that shirt off. You won't represent New York. I represent New York. Oh. I'm like, I'm like, $5. Like, I don't give a and I threw it. And I just had to walk out to my car, grab a shirt, come back inside. Stories like that make my day because everyone's got like a story that's like a little bit... Just off. Yeah, it's just so much fun. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's just stuck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you dig it, please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio. And don't forget to follow our social media, all links in the description. And with that, back to the podcast. Do you have any advice for up-and-coming comedians, people like myself? I'm only a year in, open micers, people who might want to try it. What advice would you give to them? I would say trust yourself. You put too many people into what you got going on, they might make you have reason to doubt yourself or doubt your process. You, know, you got to trust your process, trust your material. Keep people around you that are chasing something because I think that matters too. If, if, if you're around people who just kind of like to kick it around you know, and aren't really as driven, at some point, it'll rub off on you. So I think just keeping people around you that are driven, staying true to yourself, true to your material, and trusting. Like I said, trusting. I have plenty of jokes where I would write them down and then I would get on stage and be like, I'm going to do what works. You know what I'm saying? Instead of just taking that leap of faith. There ain't nothing wrong with, with bombing, for one. You know? Yeah. It's going to happen. 
it's inevitable. Yeah. We all we all will, will have a, a off night, but it's just the night, you know. So it's like in this comedy, it's like it's it's really a journey. It's really a, a marathon. Like I said, you have your great nights where you where you're on top of the world. You have your nights where you're like, ah, uh, and you'll know it too. It's like because we hold ourselves to that standard, mm-hmm. so it's like you'll know when you had a great set. You'll know when you had an alright set. But even when you have an alright set, you'll still have people come up to you and be like, "Hey, that was great." Like you thought that was great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, all right. you know. So that kind of helps going forward. And then it's like, like I said, this is about finding who you are on stage. Finding what's my style. Am I someone who sits on the stool and just, you know, or do I, am I energetic or like I had to figure it out for myself, you know, like that's why when you say high energy, I make that a point before I get on stage, make sure you have jokes that require energy. Like for me, I, I always want to keep your attention, you know, whether I'm telling a joke or not, I want to keep it. T- I may be on this side of the stage and I'm over here, or I'm over here, or I'm over here, you know, so I always want to just keep your attention. And I, like I said, stay true to you, stay true to your material. And don't listen to the outside noise. Because it'll, it'll derail you. It'll it derail will. you. It'll it make you doubt. It'll make you feel like, oh, this and that. Don't listen to no. it. Just yeah. keep going and watch how far you go. Speaking of how far you go, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like you said, uh, I see myself as one of the top comedians in the world in the next five. I've been blessed in the last nine years to accomplish a lot of things that I never would have thought I would accomplish. And just within that time, uh, two, three years ago, I did a show on Revolt TV. It's called Funny AF Season 1. And it's basically a stand-up comedy show, up-and-coming comedians. And that was a, a milestone for me. It wasn't my first time on TV, but it was my first time doing stand-up on TV. And it was just like a surreal feeling. Like I said, you see the cameras, you see the production team. Like, you, it's legit, you know. It's like, you got one take here. You know what I'm saying? It's everything you practiced for, everything you worked up for, for that moment right then and there and then this past last year i was able to do another show with amazon prime called laughs after dark so this is their third season so i'll be on season three and another stand-up comedy show showcasing up-and-coming comedians this is huge Huge. yeah Yeah. this is the the door opening the door opening so and then along with doing that i was also fortunate enough to be on Sirius XM Radio with Earthquake. Earthquake. Yes, I love Earthquake. Yeah, I was just oh I was God. just on his show two days ago. Not only is he hilarious, he's one of the nicest people too. It's insane. Honestly, he walked up to me one time at, at the Improv when I was working as a server, and he fixed my vest, and I was like shocked by that. Yeah. I was like, let me get that for you. No, oh, he's 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 wow. such a genuine dude, and I've been blessed to be around him the last four years. Like doing this show, we're going on. It's season five of his, his show, so every month, like, I'll go two or three times a month, I'll be on his show, but just to be around someone like Earthquake, who's been in it 30 years, like, when I listen, when he talks, I listen, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was at the Improv maybe a year ago. I saw he was going to be at the Improv. I booked a flight. Not to, to come and ask for stage time, because he owes me stage time. <laughs> yeah, he said if I voted, he, he'd take me on the road with him, you know, but I have impressed him about it. But I saw he was going to be at the at the improv. And in my eyes, I was like, this is an opportunity. Like, like for one, this is your city. Like, Arlington, like, I grew up in Arlington. Earthquakes in the city. So I popped up on him. He didn't know I was coming. I just popped up. I'm like, all right. So I pull, pull up to the improv. He sees me. He's like, oh, what up, family? He's like, what you doing? I'm like, man, I saw you at the improv. I'm like, you in my city, you know? So that whole, that whole weekend, he just let me kick it with him. Yeah. You know, I was in the green room with him just... Kind of watching this process, kind of when he was on stage, I was in the back watching, and I'm just like a student now. I don't mind being a student, you know what I'm saying? Like this is a legend in the game. 
he's allowing me to be around him during his process of shows. He probably did about seven shows. I was at all seven. And afterwards, I'm watching him sell his merchandise. I'm watching him sell pictures. I'm just watching him make money outside of the actual stand-up that he just did. So I'm like, all right, I got to have merch. I got to, you know, I'm just peeping everything. I'm like, okay, this is how this works. This, this is how you're supposed to go. But this is how you make your money. And I was so blessed that weekend to just be able to watch. Like I said, I didn't ask not one. I'm not ever somebody who's going to try to use anybody for anything. I just genuinely want to be around. Like I said, in that moment, I could have been like, hey, you, you think I get five minutes? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was not about that. Like, and then I, I even decided to help. Like, I'm like, why stand here? I'm going to make myself useful. I'm going to show Earthquake that I'm serious. Let me help with the with the, with the the merch. Let me help help you sell. You know, I'm like, whatever you need me to do while I'm here, I'm not just going to be someone who's standing around just like, you know, I'm going to make myself useful in this situation. And you'll see that how serious I am about this craft. Like, I really just want to learn. And being around him the last four years has been probably the biggest blessing of my career because it's given me confidence. Every time I'm on the radio with him, I get more and more confident because it's like, this guy is a legend. He's, oh, yeah. he's right now torn with Dave and Chris. And, you know, every time I look up, he's 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 here. He's in London. Oh, and, yeah. You he know, sells out everywhere. Sells out everywhere. Yeah. And it's just like, a, it's just so cool because, like, over the years, like I said, when I first started, he really didn't know know my name that well. Like, But now we've become, like, like he's literally like an OG now, like 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 an uncle. I didn't want to say a father. <laughs> like, a, like, a, <laughs> like a like a like a cool uncle that I could just talk to about, and I can come to with whatever questions about comedy. And it's just cool to have that in the back, like outside of everything I've accomplished. You know what I'm saying? It's like you have also somebody in the game that you can get advice from. That's insane. that's the biggest blessing. And it's just insane, like you said, four years worth of... It's a radio show? What is it's it? It's a radio show, yeah, yeah on SiriusXM. So yeah. it's on Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Network. They shoot it at Kevin Hart's uh, Laugh Out Loud Studios. So even pulling up to the studio is surreal to me. Yeah. You know, I'm pulling up in my little Honda Civic, <laughs> pushing the little button. I'm here for Quake's house. <laughs> you you pull into the lot, you see Rolls Royce, you see 2022s everywhere. In my little 2012 little <laughs> Civic, I try to park it in the back. So, <laughs> so no one knows. <laughs> so no one knows. I try to leave whenever anybody else leaving so they don't catch me on the way out. Yeah. But it's just a surreal feeling. Like everything that like I've accomplished, like I said, between television and radio has been surreal. And like I said, I think you're about to go to the stratosphere. I Thank think you. it's going to happen. Thank I think you. watching your comedy, talking to you today, I just see it going, just like I said, blowing up like crazy. Thank and you. So, Thank you. And I know you're already well-respected within the community yeah. of, of comedy. I can't wait to be able to be like, I had him on my podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. Man, this, so cool. these, these, are, these are moments, man. I cherish all these moments. Like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't going to miss this. You know, like I would have been here last week or the week, whatever we had to do to make it happen. I was not going to, you know, miss out. Like I said, I don't turn down nothing, you know, and I always look at every opportunity the same. I don't treat no opportunity different than the other, whether it's paid or not. You know, like I, it's not about like, sometimes you got to take money out of it. I'm saying so that way you can really enjoy the craft and, and the passion for it. You know, you got to continue to have that. And that's hard sometimes. It is. It is. Especially when you got bills and I, I live in LA. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I've been living in LA seven years. It is not cheap. Yeah. But you can make it work. And that, and that goes for anybody who wants to get up and change location. You can do it. Like, I know even when I decided to, I wanted to leave and go to L.A., my dad was the first one, like, you'll end up under a bridge. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's how you feel? 
You go there, you end up under a bridge. I'm telling you, don't call me. I told you. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> like that. Thank you for the encouragement. Yeah. So I, but I was like, I had to prove him wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm that type of kid. I'm like, my my brothers, they were like, why don't you just go to Austin? I'm like, I don't want to go to Austin. Like, I want to go to L.A. You know? Yeah. It was either L.A. or New York. New York. Like I said, my friend offered his couch. I didn't think twice. Yeah. I was like, give me six months. It's all about a leap of faith. And it's all about saying, you know, you just have to do it. And, uh, you know, Kevin Smith, uh, filmmaker Kevin Smith, is one of my favorite uh, stand-ups. And he said once, he goes, you got to take a leap of faith. He goes, you've got to just take that passion Uh and take a chance. And, like, the goal is probably unattainable. But if you never try, you're never going to do it. You'll never know. Yeah. And that's how I felt about being thrown in the fire. It's like if I if I didn't get thrown in that fire, would I still have that passion I have today? I think it was meant to be, hundred percent. And and the fact that you you crushed it under the the situation, under the circumstances, like, yeah, it's just it's so awesome. And then and then and then even that day, like my I had my parents front row, I had like family friends front row, like and they saw like how passionate I was, and I was. I, I, I kid you not. At the end of the at the end of the show, I had a little Kanye West moment where where I had a rant. Cause I, I was I was pissed. I, I like I was like I was like this was this was like a big deal. I'm like I'm about to perform in front of my people. You know what I'm saying? It's my it's my community. You know I was happy. And then like the way that they was like, where's Eddie? Eddie, Eddie? You know that stuff that was on my mind the whole set. So when I got done with my thirty, I was like I'm gonna let these people know how I really feel. And I had a moment where I was like, you know what? I was really looking forward to performing in front of y'all, but y'all really disappointed me tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all supposed to be my people, and I'm over here, and y'all can't support me or this and that. And y'all gonna see me, and y'all gonna wish y'all supported me. And then I was just went in on them. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna blow up, and y'all gonna be mad whenever I don't show no love. <laughs> <laughs> then I dropped the mic. <laughs> and then, but then you had to continue going then? No, no, no. That, that, that was, that's okay. how I ended everything. I ended it with that little rant at the end, like, just to let them know, like, I did my time because I wanted my money. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I was like, "Wait, how much you're gonna pay me? I don't make sure I do thirty, whether it's good or not." Yeah, but after I did my thirty, I made sure I let the audience know, like, "Hey, I take it serious." Yeah, like yeah, and y'all took me as as if I didn't. So I need y'all to know, either y'all gonna rock with me along this journey, or if y'all don't rock with me, y'all gonna wish y'all rocked with me because I'm gonna I'm gonna be successful. And I and I made it that point that night to let them know. And then my mom. Of course, my mom is hella dramatic. She was an artist. She thought I was going to quit. And she's like, you need to go meet this guy who you're opening up for. He needs to see you. So my mom grabs me. We're going. There's like <laughs> literally a crowd. Because after the show, everyone's lining up to take pictures with this guy. Everyone, like, it's, it's a huge crowd. Security everywhere. My mom grabs my hands, pushing through everybody. Move, move. We need to see this guy. Move, move, move. And literally, there's two big. Security guards. This is why I, I, I always love my mom to death. And I was going to love her regardless. But for this moment, like, even seeing those two big-ass security guards, they're like, oh, y'all can't come. No, my son just performed for this guy. <laughs> he needs to meet this guy. And they pushed him aside. We, we ended up, I meet the guy. We take a picture of me, him, my mom, and this and that. And it was cool. Like I said, he was a cool guy. But at the same time, it was just my mom showing me how much she's going to ride for me, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I said, my dad wasn't on board until maybe two, three years later. But my mom, from the jump, she's like, "You need to meet this. This guy is obviously on. You need. To, he needs to know you. He needs to know that you opened up. 
Yeah. He didn't even know I opened up for him. That's that's great that you have that support system too. So, like I said, it it, it didn't start out that way, and I and for for most young comics, it won't start out that way. No, it won't. It, it won't because what it is is people have to see how serious you are. People have to see how dedicated you are before they. Even if you tell someone you're funny and they come to a show, they may come to the show, but they might not come to the next one because they they don't think you're really trying to pursue it. Like it could be a hobby. Some people, it's a hobby. It's like, let me get out the house. Let me tell some yeah. jokes. But to pursue it as a profession, as a career, like I said, it's tunnel vision. You got to just really lock in. Whoever wants to support you, be happy with that support and understand that the support will come later. I always told myself, either you'll like me now, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, but at some point you'll like me. And I'm not going to be the type of guy to be like, you know, oh, you wasn't me then, you know? No. Whenever you decide to hop on board with what i am got going, It'll all be love. Yeah, It'll I, be love. I can't wait. I can't wait to see where you go with your career and thank you, and brother. how big you're going to be. It's going to be awesome. Like you said, man, the next five the next five years, I'm very excited for. It, I mean, so much is happening already. So. Already, so it's yeah. like I have, and then I always look at it like the people that I that I look up to, the the comedians that I look up to. Like I said, even with Earthquake, thirty years. Like I'm thirty one. He's been doing stand up. As long as I've been living, you know, so that puts it in perspective for me. Like you got a long way to go. But like I would say, there's a luck that's kind of in this, you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. time and hard work finally meeting, you know what I mean? And so sometimes you get a break. You and- do. And sometimes you meet the right person. I'll, I'll say this real quick. How I even met Earthquake was I was dating this little white girl out in L.A. And she was a personal trainer slash boxer. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Physical, right? <laughs> so she would. she used to have me in the gym with her. And we would go to the gym. And she was also into acting. So she 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 was connected. But we go to the gym and her trainer is actually Earthquake's trainer. So when I went to the gym to do a little boxing with her, Earthquake happened to be there and was in the gym doing boxing with her trainer. So it was kinda like I'm like, Oh that's Earthquake. Yeah. You know, I'm like in my mind I'm like, Does she know that's her you know, and, and then I see her go up to Earthquake and I love it. I'm like, Oh the <laughs> f-. I'm like, you know Earthquake? Like what the you know, so I'm I'm tripping in my head. So then I'm like, all right, we're, we're doing our thing. She introduces me to Earthquake. And then um, she introduces me to Earthquake's trainer. Now, Earthquake's trainer happens to be also, he's Earthquake's trainer, but he's also Martin Lawrence's best friend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so wow. He, he was in, he, if you ever watched Martin's, uh, the Martin show, he was uh, the, the karate dude. Um, I think it was Kente or what he went by, uh, or Dragonfly Jones. One of the, one of the two. He was, he was on Martin or whatever. So... I, I meet them through that. So fast forward, I'm a strip club DJ during the day. So the trainer dude comes to the to the strip club that I work at, and I see him. I'm like, oh, there goes old boy from the gym. <laughs> so I get out the booth and I go and I say, what's up to him? I'm like, hey, bro, uh, I don't remember me. It's Paul, you know. He's like, oh yeah, I remember you, bro. I'm like, hey, whatever you like in here, let me know. I got you. You know, I go talk to the ladies, tell them to come out here, mess with you. We became cool at that point. So then, like, so the, now now the next time I pull up to the gym. It's like, all right, we already know each other. It's like, hey, Paul, what up? What up, Kenny? You know, so eventually, me and Shorty, we we have a little fallout. But he still comes to the strip club I work at. So then he comes one day, and he was like, hey, uh, Earthquake's about to start a radio show. And I'm, I'm helping them produce it. 
I know you do comedy. Would you be down to audition for it? I'm like, hell yeah. So I auditioned for the show. It's like all these other comedians auditioning for for the show. I auditioned. I can tell my audition wasn't the greatest because I was a little nerves. You know, I'm seeing all these comedians that I, I see on the internet. And I see, I'm like, oh, this is legit. Like, these are top names. And I just kind of wasn't on my A game because I was I let the nerves get to me. Six months go by. I get a phone call from Kenny. The show had already started. I didn't hear back. I'm like, you know, it's all love. I, I was like, you know, it's the opportunity. I, I, could tell, I told myself, thank you for the opportunity. I'll be ready, more prepared next time. That's what I told myself. Six months go by, Kenny calls me. He's like, yo, what up, man? You don't, you don't f with me no more? I'm like, what you talking about, Kenny? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just want to let you know I'm taking over for the executive producing of, of Quake's house. And you know, you my boy. So I want to make sure that uh, I get you on. So let me know what dates you can do next month. Wow. And I was like, you serious? He was like, yeah, let me know what dates you could do. We start, we, we're starting back up next month. I gave him them dates. And ever since then, like, we're going on four seasons later. You know what I'm saying? That's like, but, but it started off of, like, sometimes it's about who you know. If anything you take away from this podcast, no, it's about networking. Networking. And it's, it's an, and it, but also being kind because you weren't trying. I was never, no. I was never asking for anything. I never asked anyone for Literally, not anything other than just being around. And then, like I said, he came to me. He asked me if I wanted to do it. I did it. Months went by. I'm talking about, I did that in, in the summer. It wasn't until December he calls me. He's like, yo, we're starting back up in January. Let me know what dates you want to do. I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. So I always I always tell like my friends and people out in, in L.A., it's like, it's literally who you know. Now, you have to have talent. You have to have like something to, to show for but it's about who you know. And then I'll say one more thing. When I did the show on Revolt, I didn't audition for it. Luckily, one of my friends who's a internet, uh, he's like an internet comic. Like he does sketches. A producer hit him up to do a show, which was the Revolt Funny AF. But he doesn't do stand-up. He only does skits. So instead of like just turning down an opportunity, he mentioned my name to the producer. Now the producer reached out to me, said, hey, we heard about you through Richie Loco. Do you have anything you can send us? I'm like, yeah, I'll send y'all something reels. I send them a few reels on my stand-up. They hit me back. They're like, we love it. We'd love to have you on the show. Just like that. Absolutely insane. Would you do like a 10-minute set? 10-minute yeah. set? Yeah. Just, I, you know, I think, is it online? I think I might have watched it. Is. It is. Uh, I'm sure it's on On Demand as well. Uh, Revolt TV, Season 1, Funny AF. Uh, you can find I know you can find it online. Yeah. And then um, and then with the, the most recent one was the first one I auditioned for. I'll just tell this story real quick. One on Amazon Prime. This is my first time auditioning for anything stand-up wise, and this is what made me feel like I, I'm I'm in that path. Six hundred people audition. They choose the top forty to come to the studio to perform in front of like the producers and everybody. And then from the top forty, they choose the top twenty-four for the show. The fact that I made the show out of six hundred people was such a surreal feeling in my career, knowing that for one, I've never really auditioned for anything. I've been blessed enough to, to have people put my name in the pot and me just deliver. But this was one of those moments where I was like, all right, I was able to make top 40. Now I'm in front of the producers and everything. Now now you get a chance to show showcase your skills. I showcased it, and they they loved it. I get, I get chosen in the top 24, and that was the, the, the most recent show I just did out in Las Vegas because we filmed it in Las Vegas, which was also surreal. It's like, yeah. You get to perform in Vegas? That's insane. I can't even imagine. It was a huge moment. But are you you're like across the states? You're performing everywhere, right? Right now, like yeah. So the last year I've been traveling. Yeah. So it's I've been fortunate enough to like the last past year 
Um, there's a, a guy named Jack Jr. or Jack Acidorian in L.A. He's been taking me on the road with him because he said he saw something in me. He yeah. said he likes he likes that I'm humble. He likes that I'm, I'm I bring people to shows. I'm funny and and that I, I'm driven. You know, so he was like, Yo, I want to take you on the road with me. And I was like, Man, that's a blessing. You know, like whoever. You know, like my 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 goals right now are just to continue growing and to be more of a road comic. Like, I want to travel. I want to see different places through comedy. So mm-hmm. last year was like the scratching of the surface. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just started, like, kind of going here and there. You know, I was doing a lot of Vegas shows. So it's like, okay, now it's time to just keep expanding, you know, re- different regions and start really expanding. And the goal is for me is just to travel the world, really, eventually. But right now, I'm just focused on the U.S. Eventually, somebody will see you on stage and be like, you have a personality, you have the charisma, you have the, the per- you know, what we're looking for. They may have a film that needs somebody that, like you, they see you on that stage. Or you don't even know who's in the audience. You don't you know. You never know who's going to be there. I had a lady who was on America's Got Talent. She was at the Ha Comedy Club in North Hollywood. She approached me after the show to tell me that she thought I was hilarious and she wanted me to be on America's Got Talent. But the only issue was... I had just previously did a, a game show with my with my roommates, and we had did that probably like a month ago. So like the thing is, if you've done like some kind of show or you're on a show, you couldn't do that show. It was like a weird little. Oh, that's a weird. Yeah, it was like a weird stipulation of like since I already did this show, I couldn't be on America's Got Talent. So for how long? Like indefinitely or like Not, no, just for that year. Just for that year. Okay, yeah. I could see that working too. Like you crushing it on that, and then. Like, it's all about whatever reach you can find. Whatever but, reach, you know. But, but between doing the stand-up for Amazon and everywhere else and then doing the radio show, it sounds like you're on this trajectory. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just, I'm just, just trying to keep going forward. Like, I always make sure, like, I'm very strategic. I'm very, like, with my moves, you know. Like, like with the radio show, they'll ask me what dates I want to do. I always make sure the dates align with my stand-up. Yeah. Like, if I have a show that week... I want to be on the radio that week. For one, at the end of this, every show, Earthquake gives you the opportunity to promote whatever you got going on. So it's like, I want to be able to utilize it to the best. So it's like, I want to have something that I can tell people where they can follow me and where they can see me at. You know, So it's just about strategically putting yourself in positions to succeed. So I'm always constantly like, even with this podcast, like me coming into town, like I came in town for a wedding, but to stop in and do this podcast is a part of what I'm chasing. You know what I'm saying? That's why I was like, I, I was here. Boom. Not a problem. Because it's just adding to, to to my mystique. It's adding to, you know, like even the people that follow me, they, they see me like, oh, he's back in town. What's he doing? You know what I'm saying? Oh, he's over here. Oh, he's doing a podcast. Oh, he's really working. You know, it, it just gets people's brain programmed to understand that he's a comedian. And that's all I want you to think when you see me is professional comedian. But you're going to be doing so much more, I guarantee you. Thank you, brother. I think so. I think the acting's going to happen. I think continue the radio, you can do your own podcast, whatever whatever avenue you take, yeah. you're going to And I'm and I'm and I'm learning from Earthquake watching him how he he handles his radio show and and it's of course it's going to it's going to lead into my own thing, but just to be able to be a part of that, be a part of, you know, even be on Kevin Hart's network is surreal. It's yeah, that's insane. Surreal. You know, when you like I said, pulling up to his studios, you're walking around I'm walking around his studios, all his pictures on the wall and stuff. It's like And Kevin had it rough, you know. He he worked for years and years and he got 
like scary movie and he got other stuff. Yeah, here. small roles, but you won't even remember him. And then out of the blue, he put in the time, he put in the work, and he just became the biggest comedian. The biggest in the comedian. World. Yeah, and, and that's why that's why I always put him in my I know a lot of people don't like him as, as a comedian anymore, mm-hmm. but he influenced me to get on stage. Like I feel like Jamie Foxx, Martin, Marlon Wayans, they influenced me to be funny, influenced me to get on stage. Like I said, I used to re- recite his jokes and do like Kevin Hart impressions and like telling my friends Kevin Hart's jokes before I was even thinking about being a comic. So it was like I knew like something something had to happen. You know what I'm saying? And then like I said, that influence has has grown into my comedy as over the years. And then like I said. Earthquake's influence is, is helping me mature as a comedian. It's helping me understand that you can be in the same room as the people you grew up watching. Do you get starstruck? I used to. I yeah. used to. Like, even when I first started the radio show, like, he would have, because it's other guests on the show. So it's other comedians along with Earthquake. It'd probably be maybe three or four other comedians on the show at a time. So it's like five of us. And he'll have guests on there that like, are big names. You know, and you're like, <laughs> it's Bill Bellamy, you know, yeah, like, it's insane. You know, He's like, so tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like I'm. It was surreal. It's like we're doing a segment where we're like everyone tells a quick joke, and I'm going after Bill Bellamy. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's like I'm watching him do his. And I'm like, man, bro, this is Bill Bellamy. And then it's like, and then it's like my turn, and then I do I do a quick little African joke, and and he's dying laughing, and this is like, wow, I just made Bill laugh. It's mind-blowing bro it's legit mind-blowing seeing the people you grew up watching being in the same room and then it took time like in the beginning it's just like like i was nervous you could hear it in my voice a little bit like you know i wasn't as confident in my in my answers because it's it's all like uh nothing scripted like it's all just like trending topics like scenarios you ask a question he goes around the room pick somebody you may be first you may be last you may be third you know so you never know you're just going to get called on like, Paul, what you got? That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, yeah. A- after a while, you know, in the beginning, you're like, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> My answers are <laughs> like, I, th- I don't think they think I'm funny at all. Like, And then after a while, like, like I said, after a while, I had to tra- train myself, train my brain. Like, you you belong. Like, I had to get out of that mentality of like, damn, that's, I grew up watching him on Comic View. Now it's like, no, we're, we're, we're in the same boat. Yeah. Like, we're. You're a comedian, just like I'm a comedian. Once I got that out the way, it was just like, now it's just like, all right, now I'm getting respect from them. Now they're like, oh, we Paul, you know what I'm saying? And it's just more so just because I've been genuine. Like I said, I don't ask nobody for anything. I don't ask people, can I go on the Like, I feel like it'll, it'll organically come, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, well, even like this podcast, Gabe is one's like, he's like, I think Paul wants to do it. I was like, all right, let's do it then, you know what I mean? But what I was thinking while you were saying all that is, you surround yourself with greatness. You surround yourself with the people that you want to be like. Yes. Because then you can rise up to that level. And like I said, just being surrounded by earthquake. You got to you gotta be able to see it. Yeah. And then it's like, like I said, when I came to the improv, I saw him do seven shows. I watched all seven. Sold out. Sold out. Yeah. Everyone sold out and every show he killed. Not one show was a drop off. Even we backstage, we drinking, we smoking. He's still, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like me, I can't smoke. Yeah. Before oh no! Show. I know. <laughs> I can. I cannot hit no weed. Before. You want to talk about being in your head on stage? That's what? no good. <laughs> I'm terrible when I'm high. I do not. I know myself. Bruce. Yeah, you realize it. Then you get up there. You're like, oh. 
shit. And then you see the lights, and the lights start hitting you. Like, well, what do y'all want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like, no, this is not going well. That's awesome. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, We got to put out the social media. Comedian Paul Gyrus. Comedian Paul Gyrus. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just Paul Gyrus. And then Comedian Paul Gyrus on TikTok, too. Yep. On all platforms, Comedian Paul Gyrus, yes. Dude, I can't wait to see where you go. It's I appreciate gonna be it. Awesome. It's going to be awesome. Paul, oh, thank you. Thank you. We're going to do some shows it. together, too. Yeah, well, we did, technically. Gabe's show. Yeah. I was I guest spot on it. Okay, so, okay, okay. Yeah. But I'm saying, uh, like, legit, legit. This is my first time being here. At this club? Yes, ironically enough. It, even though you lived here for so long? For so long, I've never oh. been to the Addison Improv. Oh, this, is awesome. a, this is a first... Uh, I've never been inside here. I've always wanted to, but I've never been here. So, all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Duck. I've been here with Paul Jairus. And uh, support local comedy in any way, shape, or form that you can. With that said, we will see you on the next one. And there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made. That's right, we're talking all that video game goodness. And finally, we have Quackin' Up, a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please check out our social media, all links in the description. And with that, we'll see you on the next one.